Before we begin, I want to let you know about a campaign that I'm taking part in called Two Pods a Day. It aims to introduce podcast listeners to two independent podcasts every day for 30 days. We hope to give visibility to some of the great indie podcasts that you probably haven't heard of. Two Pods a Day encourages you to listen more. Listen independent. Find more shows like mine by following Two Pods a Day on Twitter and Facebook, or just search the hashtag Two Pods a Day. If you are looking for podcasts similar to Pleasing Terrors, I highly recommend that you check out the Strange and Unusual podcast and the Not Alone podcast. They are two of my favorites, and I always look forward to when they release new episodes. I would also like to give a special recommendation for the latest episode of the Quid Pro Quo podcast. It is beautifully written, brilliantly executed, and deeply disturbing. Now on with our show. Warning. This episode contains descriptions of violence against children. Listener discretion is advised. Some stories were never supposed to be told. Stories that exist in the twilight between science and the supernatural. Between history and horror. Stories that speak of terrifying things. Stories that you want to hear. Stories that you need to hear. Stories that will sink their teeth in and never let you go. My name is Mike Brown, and this is Pleasing Terrors. Episode 20, True Horror. In September of 2014, Michelle Midwinter left her daughter alone while she stepped outside to take a photo of her new house, a photo she intended to share on Facebook. After snapping the picture, she saw something that made her freeze. She had left her two-year-old daughter alone, but there was a man's face staring at her from one of the windows. She ran to the door and rushed inside. She found her child safe and could find no one else inside the house. She tried to convince herself that it was just her imagination, but when she looked at the picture that she had taken at the front of the house, she could see the face in the window staring back at her. Michelle lived in Trowbridge, a town in the county of Wiltshire in the southwest of England. The geography of Wiltshire is characterized by chalk hills separated by wide valleys. It is an ancient place with a history that goes back at least 5,000 years. One of its most notable features is the Salisbury Plain, a 300-mile area of grasslands that are an archaeological treasure trove, of which the greatest treasure is Stonehenge, a collection of 13-foot-tall stone blocks that are thought to date from 3100 B.C. The purpose of the stones remains unknown, though the location was originally used as a burial site and contains human bone deposits that date back as far as 3000 B.C.
Stonehenge is a mysterious place. How it was constructed and for what purpose are still the subject of debate. Theories range from a place for astronomical observations, a junction of powerful ley lines, or a place of healing. Despite, or more likely because, of its great age, its secrets are still intact. Wiltshire is home to other monuments as well. Great houses, many of them hundreds of years old, can be found across the county. While their use is readily apparent, these mansions are places of mystery as well. They are repositories not only of history, but of folklore and legend, of rumors and lies. They contain stories of love, tragedy, and unspeakable crimes. Ironically, these stories are kept alive because in these great houses, the dead refuse to rest. Avebury Manor is thought to have been built sometime between 1555 and 1580. It is speculated that some of the stone used in the construction of the house may have come from the area around Stonehenge. Inside and in the surrounding gardens, visitors to the estate have described feeling a hand come to rest on their shoulder or brush against their arm, and turned to find that they were alone, or so it appeared. On rare occasions, young men have wandered off by themselves and encountered a beautiful woman wearing a long white dress, who appeared only for a moment and then faded away. While the woman's name appears to be lost to history, her story is not. She is thought to have been a ward of Sir John Stawell, who lived in the house in the 1640s. She is said to have fallen in love with one of the servants who lived on the estate. When Stawell learned of their romance, he tried to quash it, but the couple continued to meet in secret. When the English Civil War broke out, the young man joined the army. He never returned. He was killed in battle. Overcome with grief, the young lady threw herself to her death from a window in one of the manor's upper floors. Now she follows young men visiting the estate, as if perhaps in death, she hopes she might finally be reunited with her lost love. Longleat, located near Warminster, is considered one of the finest examples of Elizabethan architecture in Britain. It is also said to be haunted by the Grey Lady, the ghost of Lady Louisa Carteret, who was the wife of the second Viscount of Weymouth, Thomas Thine. The couple married in the 1730s, and Lady Carteret moved into the house, bringing her servants with her. There was one servant in particular, of who she seemed to be noticeably fond. Her husband soon began to suspect that she was having an affair and confronted the man one night after Lady Carteret had gone to bed. The encounter grew violent, and Thine shoved the man down a staircase, causing him to break his neck. 
Thine had the body buried in the cellar, and the next day told his wife that the servant had left. She didn't believe him, and thought that her husband might have imprisoned the man somewhere in the house. She spent days searching for him before she gave up. She died during childbirth in 1736. For many years afterwards, the inhabitants of the house would claim to see her, a gray figure roaming the halls. They came to refer to it as the Gray Lady's Walk. Like the White Lady of Avesbury, she seems condemned in death to search for a love that was stolen from her in life. Littlecote, an Elizabethan brick mansion located near the River Kennet, was completed in 1592. It is thought to be the oldest brick building in Wiltshire. An older Tudor mansion on the site was once the home of Sir William Darrell, who inherited the property in 1549. In 1575, a midwife named Mother Barnes, who lived in Great Shefford, was preparing to go to bed when there was a knock at her door. She opened it to find a man wearing a hat and a muffle to disguise his face. He offered her a large sum of money to accompany him to deliver a baby. She was required to go blindfolded. She agreed, and after traveling some distance, was brought inside a house and led up a staircase. She was led through a room that had a large fireplace. She couldn't see it, but she could feel the heat of the roaring fire. She was then led into an adjacent room. When the blindfold was removed, she saw that she was in a lavish bedroom. There was a pregnant woman in the bed who was in labor and appeared to be close to giving birth. She was wearing a mask. There was also a man there. He too was wearing a mask. He pointed to the woman on the bed and Mother Barnes knew what was expected of her. After the baby had been delivered, the masked man took the child and carried it into the other room. Suddenly, Mother Barnes heard the baby scream. She rushed into the adjoining room and saw that the masked man had thrown the baby into the fire. After the man was satisfied that the child was dead, he told her that if she ever revealed what she had seen, he would make sure that she suffered. She was then paid, blindfolded, and taken home. It was only on her deathbed, years later, that she told the story. She did not identify the masked man, but rumors began to spread that she had been taken to Littlecote and that the masked man was Sir William Darrell. They also said that the pregnant woman was his sister, and that the child was the result of an incestuous relationship, and that she had died as a result of the birth. There is no way to know if the story was true. It was spread by the political enemies of Sir William, and they probably didn't care whether the story was true or not so long as it served its purpose. In her 2009 book, Haunted Wiltshire, author Sonia Smith relates a story of a house located close to Stonehenge, 
while she has changed the names of both the house and the people who live there. She insists that the story is true. In the summer of 1968, a young couple, an artist and his wife, moved into a Gothic mansion Smith calls Sarson Court. One night, the wife, who she calls Laura, awoke to the sound of her husband's screaming. She saw what looked like a giant spider jump off the bed and scurry across the floor. Her husband was clutching his arm and was in extreme pain. She could see that he had been bitten. She took him to the hospital where he was treated. Over the following days, she had a pest control company inspect the house, though they could find no trace of a spider that matched the description of the one she had seen that night. She noticed that her husband's wound was slow to heal and that his personality had changed. He was angry all the time and not long after fell into such a rage that he became violent. She left the house and went to stay with a friend. After a call from the housekeeper, warning her that her husband had sequestered himself in the bedroom and that he was refusing to eat, Laura returned to the house with another couple in the hopes of convincing her husband to get some help. He was enraged at the presence of the other couple and continued to refuse to leave the room. On one occasion, Laura noticed that the bedroom door was ajar and looked in to find her husband sitting in front of a mirror. What she saw reflected in the mirror terrified her. There was another face there behind her husband, a woman's face. With the help of her friends, she forced her husband out of the house and had him admitted to a psychiatric hospital, where over time, his condition improved. After hearing her story about the mirror, one of her friends decided to research the history of the property and discovered that the owner of the home in 1837 had been married to a woman who was referred to as the Spanish lady, though she was thought to be from Brazil. She was also rumored to be a witch. She was unhappy in her marriage and committed suicide in the bedroom by drinking arsenic. According to the story, every man who had lived in the house since had fallen ill, either physically or mentally, and ultimately died. The only survivors were those who left the house and never returned. The Spanish lady was said to haunt the house and was seen not only in human form, but sometimes in the form of a cat or a spider. Laura and her husband moved out and sold the house soon after. If one looks past the racist patina that coats this story, if there really was a Spanish lady, she was not the only woman in Wiltshire to be accused of practicing witchcraft. There were accounts of women facing accusations of being witches as far back as the 16th century. A widow named Goody Orchard in the town of Malmesbury was destitute and forced to beg for food. It was rumored that she was a witch and would curse those who refused her. One story recounts how after a girl denied her food, Goody Orchard walked around the girl's house twice, mumbling as she went. 
Observers thought that she was casting a spell. Soon after, the girl suffered a seizure that left her disfigured. Goody Orchard was arrested and accused of witchcraft. She denied the charge, but offered to use an herbal remedy to heal the girl. Her treatment was successful, and after the girl was healed, Goody Orchard was put on trial, convicted of being a witch, and hanged. Even in the 1800s, the Spanish lady was not the only woman in the area to be accused of being a witch. Liddy Shears of Winterslow was said to have had the ability to turn herself into a rabbit. A local farmer shot a rabbit near her home with a silver bullet, which was believed to have the ability to kill a witch. It should be noted, of course, that it could kill a non-witch with equal efficiency. A few days later, Liddy Shears was found dead in her home with a silver bullet lodged in her heart. It seems that the more likely story is that the farmer murdered her and used the rumors of witchcraft to try to explain away his crime. Beyond serving as a disguise for witches, rabbits feature prominently in the mythology of the region. The legend of the Salisbury Hare dates back to at least 1318. It was said to appear to innocents who were in danger of being tricked or deceived by someone they trusted. It was said to offer protection. Unfortunately for one little boy, the Salisbury Hare was not there when he needed him most. The face in the window that Michelle Midwinter saw in Trowbridge in September of 2014 was recognized by researchers as that of Samuel Kent, patriarch and owner of the Roadhill House in the mid-1800s. His home is today mostly remembered for the horrific murder that occurred there in 1860, a murder that was labeled the most shocking crime of the Victorian age. In June of 1860, Kent, a government sub-inspector of factories, and a man of great wealth lived at Road Hill with his wife, Mary, who was 19 years his junior and his second wife. His first wife, also named Mary, had died eight years earlier. They had three young children, five-year-old Mary, three-year-old Francis, and two-year-old Evelyn. Also living in the house were 16-year-old Constance and 15-year-old William who were children from his previous marriage, as well as the children's nanny, 22-year-old Elizabeth Goh. The night of June 29th was quiet, a night like any other night, as the family and the servants went to bed. Elizabeth slept in the room with Mary and Francis. Evelyn slept in the same room as her parents. The quiet was only disturbed at one point by the barking of the Kent's dog in the yard outside. It was heard by the neighbors, as well as a policeman walking home on a nearby road. But no one, either inside the house or outside, thought much of it. When the children's nurse awoke in the morning, she noticed that Francis was not in his bed. She assumed that he had awoken during the night and gone to sleep with his parents. But when she spoke with his mother later in the morning, she said that the child wasn't with her. 
and began to panic. A search of the house was begun immediately. It was discovered that while all the doors were still locked, a window in the drawing room was open. The servants immediately began to search the grounds. They were soon joined by neighbors. Two local men decided to check the servants' privy, an outhouse located in the woods next to the home. They found a pool of blood on the floor. One of them fetched a candle, and when he held it over the hole, he could see what looked like a blanket on the splashboard just below the seat. He reached in and pulled it up. Francis was wrapped inside. When he was lifted out of the privy, his head almost fell off. His throat had been slashed almost all the way through his neck. He had been stabbed multiple times and had wounds on his chest, hands, and arms. The murder threw the country into a national hysteria. It was, in many ways, the 19th century version of the John Benet Ramsey case. The initial and very popular theory was that Samuel was having an affair with the nanny, Elizabeth Goh, that Francis had woken up and seen them together in bed, and that they had killed him to preserve their secret. Supporters of this theory were quick to point out that the current Mrs. Kent had been the nanny during his first marriage. Elizabeth was arrested, but was later released when a new investigator took over the case. That man was Jack Witcher, known as the Prince of Detectives, and one of the original Scotland Yard detectives. His attention quickly shifted to 16-year-old Constance and the fact that she was unable to account for the whereabouts of the nightgown that she was wearing that night. Constance was arrested on July 16th, but public outcry forced her release soon after. They were drawn to the more salacious original theory and refused to believe that a girl from such a good family would be capable of so horrific a crime. Time and a guilty conscience would prove Detective Witcher correct. Five years later, on April 25, 1865, Constance walked into London's Bow Street Magistrate Court, accompanied by Reverend Arthur Wagner, and confessed to the murder of her brother. She said that on the night of the murder, she had stolen a razor from her father and waited in bed until everyone was asleep. She went downstairs and opened the drawing room window and then crept into the nursery and picked Francis up from his bed. She carried him downstairs and climbed out the window and then took him across the yard and into the woods to the privy. Her passing was noticed only by the dog who barked at her. Once inside the privy, she stabbed Francis repeatedly with the razor and slit his throat with such force that she almost decapitated him. She then wrapped his body in his blanket and placed him in the hole. She said that the murder was motivated by her hatred for her stepmother. The Salisbury Hare, protector of the innocent from betrayal by those they trusted, had failed to appear when he was needed most. As Francis was carried across the yard and into the woods to his death, there was no one there, either magical or mundane, to save him. Had he lived five years more, 
he would likely have enjoyed having his nanny read to him from a new book that was to prove popular with both children and adults. Written by mathematician Charles Whitridge Dodson, under the pen name Lewis Carroll, Alice's Adventures in Wonderland told the story of a little girl who followed a white rabbit down a hole into a logic-bending fantasy land. Francis went down a hole as well, but he did not find a magical wonderland. What awaited him there was only filth and darkness and death. If there had been a magical rabbit waiting in the woods for Francis to arrive, it is Carol's creation rather than the Salisbury Hare, who sadly would have proven more appropriate to the situation. Though softened and obscured by the narrative, it should be noted that the White Rabbit was the emissary of the Queen of Hearts. It was a harbinger of death. The Queen decreed one fate for those who found their way into her realm, for those who displeased her. Off with their head. Constance was found guilty of the murder of her brother and condemned to death, but the sentence was commuted by Queen Victoria. She served 20 years in prison and was released in July of 1885. She moved to Australia, where she worked for the rest of her life as a nurse. She died in 1944 at the age of 100. The great houses of Wiltshire are monuments to folklore and legend, to rumor and lies. They are home to stories of witches and ghosts, but the story of Road Hill is different from the rest. It is not a ghost story. It is much worse. True horror is naked and unadorned by the trappings of folklore and legend. It is not a reminder of the long ago and far away. It is a dark promise of the here and now. It is the quiet anticipation of terrible things to come. True horror is the realization that the worst nightmares begin not when you fall asleep, but when you wake up. That the one you should fear most may be someone you love. That they are lying in bed just down the hall with a razor gripped tightly in their hand waiting for you to close your eyes, waiting for you to fall asleep, waiting for the nightmare to begin. This episode of the Pleasing Terrors podcast was written by Mike Brown. It was recorded, edited, and mixed by Eric Stair, at Charleston Sound Studio. If you would like to support the show, please rate and review Pleasing Terrors on iTunes. Your review will make it easier for others to find us. For more creepy news, history, and folklore, or for information on upcoming episodes, please visit us at Pleasing Terrors on Facebook and Twitter and at pleasingterrors.com. Thank you for listening.